Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I am super excited today to welcome back someone that we've had on the show before, Emily Lanetto, who is the head of growth at VoiceFlow. Emily, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So Emily and I riff on growth stuff all the time, and we thought it might be fun to try an experimental episode where we just kind of like talk about the really popular growth experiments that have happened over the years that people are really familiar with. And we'll talk about would that thing work today? What would they have had to change if they were going to run that campaign again today? Uh, What are the really interesting aspects of it? And just kind of roll with that. Does that sound good to you, Emily? Yeah, no, I'm stoked. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So for the folks that didn't hear the prior episode with you in it, do you want to just give some quick background on yourself and, and we'll dig in? Sure. So uh, my name is Emily. I head growth at VoiceFlow, which is an easy way for designers, developers, or anyone to build voice apps with little to no code. Beyond that, I'm also the uh, co-founder and co-organizer of GrowthTO, which is one of the largest uh, communities of growth practitioners in Toronto. Awesome. And super nerdy about all growth stuff, which is why I'm excited to just kind of talk about these things here today. All right. So let's start with the thing that I think most people are familiar with, which is the Dropbox. What was it? The space race is what they called it. Yeah, I think it was, it was the space race, uh, that infamous period of time where they first launched and they somehow gamified a bunch of users to have fun with cloud storage. <laughs> I don't know about you, Matt, but uh, when this hit, I was in like the peak of university and had never used cloud storage before, but I never wanted more storage in my entire life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where you were at when this first launched. <laughs> Yeah, also in school. So for for folks that maybe aren't familiar, so the space race was this idea where they pitted all of the colleges and universities against each other to get the most users to sign up with their university email address. And the schools that got the most signups within, I don't remember, maybe it was like a month period of time or something like that. Yeah, if, if you got the most science within a month, then the top school got like unlimited storage forever or, you know, some insane amount of extra storage that they'll never need, like per each user. And, you know, there were like tiers and all sorts of stuff. And it like really took off. Everyone that I knew and that was like tech savvy at school <laughs> was all about the space race. And I was like, oh, boy, I, I need to keep sharing this. I, I think that was one of the first times where I felt a compulsion to get other people to actively sign up for a thing that I cared about out of nowhere, which is really fascinating. And I think like one of the beautiful things about the space race, kind of looking back hindsight 2020, (laughs) is um, the fact that they did this with in-kind rewards rather than uh, a transactional type of referral system, where like this is one of the really early popular examples of a company that took a product that no one really knew about at the time, they definitely didn't have the marketing budget to be able to afford giving away the same type of, I guess, rewards per signup if this was a transactional item. And instead, they just got more user buy-in and really, really capitalized on school rivalry, as well as like personal networks. And to your point on this is like the first time you felt compulsion of sharing something, I think I definitely spammed this Um, and was definitely one of the first examples of a referral system that I like totally fell for. Yeah. And I think you you hit on something really important here, which is that the, it was not a transactional, like 
dollar value thing and the marginal cost for them to give more storage was so low, right? Like you can't do this type of thing with any given service or tool, but this one just works so well because it was really inconsequential for them to hand more storage over at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that, I guess that kind of builds into kind of our next point where a lot of people talk about Dropbox or even some of the examples that we might talk about later today as these like amazing examples of growth hacks that happen to be like evangelized and a lot of people try to mimic. But that being said, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for every single product that's out there. And more importantly, it doesn't mean that it's feasible or even like the right type of way of thinking about launching a product nowadays. I don't know about you, but it might be interesting to kind of like go through, wonder what it would look like today if something like this happened. It's a good point because there's so many other tools that have tried or, or have built all sorts of referral programs. And so now I feel like I, I personally am inundated by, hey, here's my referral code for this thing here, like sign up for this thing also. Like there's just so many of those and every consumer app that I sign up for now has this page somewhere in the app. Sometimes it gets like full navigation space in the, you know, the four buttons in the nav or, you know, a little heart in the top right corner somewhere where you go and then you could see all the people that you referred. That was one of the things that, that the Space Race had was here's a, a list of all the people that you've referred, which is really cool to, to follow along. And, and so, yeah, it, it's like, could, could they do it today as successfully? I think one of the things that you pointed out early was that they capitalized on the school rivalry thing. And that to me was a very critical component because then you get these groups and communities of people rather than just individuals, like all these other apps that I signed up for, the most recent one where I'm like actively handing out referral codes is, a, is an app called Seeded. Uh, I also hand out Wealthfront and Betterment codes all the time because there's there's like very clear dollar return on it. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I feel like there's almost, what's the word I'm looking for? Not exhaustion of, of all of these things, but I don't know. Maybe Maybe you know what I'm getting at here. Yeah, I think, well... Well, for me personally, I don't know about you, but I get asked about referrals of referral programs literally all the time. Um, I feel like it's like become one of the things that I just so happen to have worked on a ton. But uh, I think that a couple different things that come to mind when thinking about this campaign is like one is rivalries are still pretty real. When you go into tapping into that, you see like gaming companies really tap into that with like whether you're thinking about traditional like sports teams or during like March Madness and gambling apps that really take advantage of that. Or you think about even when I was back at Tilt, we had school wars similar to kind of what they did with Dropbox, but instead it wasn't referrals, it was actions that they took. So I think there's ways that you can still capitalize that, but maybe in slightly more specific use cases or specific times rather than something that's as constant as some people might have launched in the past. So what I mean by that is like maybe capitalizing on a season or putting a time on a campaign like this might still prove to be pretty successful. But that being said, I think that there's also been other examples post Dropbox that is used in kind rewards that have been pretty successful. I know like when I was using Yesware uh, early on in my career, there was a period of time where if I just kept referring a few people here and there, I would get another month free. 
And I ended up just going like a year without paying for Yasvar. Um, so, so I think like it really depends on what stage of buy-in that you have for that product now. I think people are more skeptical nowadays. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the original sources of this referral program type thing, which I believe, and I'm sure someone's going to correct me that there was one that came before it, but a PayPal was one of these very first referral, you know, what, what was it we were talking before? You said it was like a give 10, get uh, 10. A back scratcher referral. <laughs> yep. Um, which is the, that like, if I refer you, you get $10 and then I also get $10, which everyone is now familiar with through Uber and Lyft and all these other apps that uh, have that sort of system. Yeah, or like any type of food delivery system. But yeah, no, I think that and there's, you're for sure right, like someone's definitely going to comment that there's, there was a referral program before this. So I guess in Asterix, maybe one of the first known massively adopted mm-hmm. digital referral, <laughs> give 10, get 10 examples. I think like this type of example is one that is almost like table stakes. I find nowadays where it's like, it's very rare that you download a consumer app, like you had mentioned, and you don't have a page or a tab or a function inside your mobile app that happens to give you some form of link. And for this one, it's interesting. Like, I don't know about you, but I went very early on from with, I guess the situation when like Uber first launched of just being like, Oh, this is awesome. Uh, I'm going to share this with like everybody to now feeling hyper guilty about sharing that code or really only sharing it if someone's like, oh, I've never signed up for this thing. And they're a really good friend of mine. And I just so happen to be having like an organic conversation. But I've been seeing less and less of these or more kind of company initiated sign up promo codes. I I don't know about from your side. So uh, there's a couple of really interesting things there that I want to touch on. The point about it being an organic conversation where you just happen to notice that somebody doesn't have it, then you hand the code. I'm very similar now. Like I, I will not go bring it up to people. Like I brought up the Dropbox thing or that I'm sure many people would have brought up the PayPal thing, but now it's more of the topic brings us there. And I find out that that person doesn't use the app. And then it's like, all right, this is a perfectly opportune moment. In a lot of ways, I almost wonder if, more and more, the referrals that do happen are a result, not of people, of them like bringing them into the fold. It's more of uh, and introducing the product to somebody, but it's more of the person is familiar with the product. And this is just the thing that like gives me a social reason to like nudge them over the edge, right? Yeah. And I think that one of the interesting, I think, behaviors that came from that is there, there is that awkward tension that comes from the whole, I benefit from you benefiting, or I benefit from sharing this with you, where I think that it actually gave rise to like a slightly different version of this referral system, which is more like granting uh, access or like non, that a (laughs) one-sided, I guess a one-sided referral bonus, where you as an existing user are able to grant access or grant a discount or grant something that the user or your friend wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Me personally, I've seen a lot of really interesting examples on that, even like recently, where I think the most referrals I've sent out in the last like year or so have been for things like Superhuman, where I have people like literally DMing me asking (laughs) for a referral to their platform. And I feel good about sending that out. 
rather than feeling like I'm capitalizing on somebody. And even similarly with Ryan Hoover of Product Hunt recently launched something called Your Stacks. And they had a massive wait list that also had some triggering systems in terms of uh, inviting people. And you've seen more and more people just trying to share in a way where that referral feels better from the sharer side. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like there's a really interesting tension here between, I, I feel like one side of it, the table stakes part of it, that having a referral code with tables, like it just is table stakes to be able to invite somebody and you know you get $5 for it. Like it, it just feels like every app should have it at this point. But now it's almost like we're swinging back the other way where you don't even get anything for referring somebody to superhuman, except for the fact that you are cool because you had it first, right? (laughs) It's like, and then, and now you're saying you feel better about that sort of referral then. And I also feel like weirdly guilty when I'm sharing a code to get somebody signed up for Wealthfront because now like I am actively invested in like, are they going to do it? I know I could get this many dollars once they do. Are they going to do it? Like, like now there's this weird pressure where I feel like I want to keep pushing them, but I don't know. There's this tension between the, like, how much am I going to gain versus the just feeling good about handing someone else access to something. Yeah. And I think that like, it might also be like the type of app, for instance, like I feel zero guilt in trying to like force my referral code for like my Amex on somebody where (laughs) I'm going to get a kickback for them signing up for something versus like, I will feel super guilty on maybe like aggressively pushing something for maybe like a clothing store or something that's a little bit more like frivolous as an example. And I don't know if you feel the same way about maybe like financial apps versus versus apps that seem like you're pushing something that that person might not need as much. But that's at least like where my bias has been irrational or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one side note, I also think that the get money for people signing up for some mass consumer product also opens the door to it being gamed. So for example, I have one friend that was telling me that, I don't remember if he was doing it or a friend of his was doing it, but basically they figured out how to run paid Google ads with their Uber referral code. Mm, And they got the cost per acquisition for the ad lower than the dollar value that they get for the Uber code. So they were just raking in like thousands of dollars a month, essentially just doing SEO for Uber. And so it's almost like, is that a bad thing for Uber? I mean, they're getting the users anyway. So that's one whole question. And then the other is I I have seen on those like coupon code websites, like Retail Me Not or others, I see people put their referral code as a listed coupon, right? And so people are just like finding ways to game it so that they get a kickback. It's almost like an affiliate type program. Yeah. And I guess like that is probably another reason why like some of the fire behind like giving in-kind rewards or doing even like evangelism rewards, like examples with like The Hustle, for instance, which like is a crazy growth story for a newsletter um, that was started by a guy named Sam Parr, who pretty much like grew the entire list based off like email referrals for friends. And in exchange, he would give out swag items that wouldn't be otherwise available to people. So that like helped it keep in control where like the gamification side really didn't have that benefit of someone taking the time to go take out ads on his behalf or do things like that that might run him dry. 
And I can totally relate to that. I think every person might have at least one friend who's definitely taken advantage of that in the past. One of my old bosses, actually, at one of my jobs, it used to relish in the fact that uh, that he made a ton of money off uh, his Uber referral code and didn't pay for Uber for years. <laughs> and I'm kind of jealous, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, so why, why don't we switch up to a, a different mechanic here? So one that I find fascinating, which is like, there's only there, to me, this is an example of there are a limited amount of companies that can capitalize on any given new channel before it no longer works. So the example that I have in mind is Spotify on Facebook. So when Spotify first launched, it was competing, you know, there was like Pandora, there was RDO. And one of the reasons that I think Spotify really took off was you would sign up with your Facebook account or you would sign up and then connect your Facebook account. And then I, I think it was like it would post every song that you listen to, maybe not every mm-hmm. song, like every album or like multiple times a day, it would share the music that you were listening to. And ultimately that got pulled back by Facebook, but ex- it existed for like, six full months where my feed was just covered (laughs) in who is listening to what songs and others commenting on that. Like that is a perfect example in my mind of Spotify got it on Facebook while it was still wide open. I think some other games got it like Farmville while it was wide Mm -hmm. open and and for them to capitalize on that. But I, I just think it's so interesting that there's like this moment of time for any of these new social channels where if you can like, if you could figure out how to perfectly exploit it without going too far for your product that aligns really well with that mechanic at that point in time, then you can strike gold with it. Yeah. And I think like even another example of that that I remember was when Twitter used to connect with Facebook and you would have people who were just like consistently posting like pretty much the exact same thing that you would see on Twitter because they would be posting them as statuses, which are, you know, about the same as, you know, what you'd find on Twitter. And Mm -hmm. there was definitely like a moment where like that was popular to a point where they were able to like drive traffic back to Twitter. But I think in those types of examples, you also run the risk of like the actual behaviors that people are expecting on those websites. So when that was popular, people writing on walls and writing statuses was not like a strange thing. (laughs) And I don't know what happened and when this happened in Facebook, but I, I definitely feel that there was a really big shift away from people like publicly posting stuff frequently as statuses and even writing on each other's walls to like just passively consuming things in the newsfeed. And so like even examples of that where it was good at the time might not even fit the social standards of how people or or I guess user behaviors of how people use those products now. Mm-hmm. Right, like the the core interactions change. And so I feel like if there was an app that just started posting all the activity that someone was doing on something in Facebook, I would immediately mute that person. <laughs> like there's yeah. just no reason I'd want to see that anymore because people feel more, at least I do, I feel more, I feel like I want to define more control over that thing. Whereas in the past, it was just, oh, this thing's happening and I'm looking at it. Yeah. And it, it's funny as well, where like, I, I even, re- like, I guess to go back to like the Spotify example, this was like before Spotify, before even like, for me personally, I was using like LimeWire and like BearShare. It was like a long time ago. 
Um, I don't know if you remember when MSN was popular and you could link your like Windows music player or whatever to your status. You could just like show everybody what you were listening to at all times. Um, That was a really interesting uh, use of like cross-posting as well, where I know like even me as like a child, I would see what my friends were listening to and I would like regularly go to like YouTube and like Google Billy Talent because I was like, I don't know what that is. Or like go and download some angsty song because I saw one of my friends was listening to it. So that's another interesting example of um, cross-posting and things that might also die when those behaviors no longer become exceptional, (laughs) accepted. Yeah, I so I'm I'm personally not on TikTok. Ha, has there been any examples of companies <laughs> leveraging? I I don't know. I I've like very recently come onto TikTok, and I'm like super embarrassed about it. I I, I like originally went on as like, oh, this is like a cool new place. Let me poke around, and now it's like cancerous. It's like responsible for my stream, like like shameful screen time updates that I get from my iPhone. <laughs> um, but no, I've actually seen like a lot of companies starting to do some interesting things on those platforms. And I think there's a huge spike in companies that are getting really, really creative on jumping on these trends of riding the popularity of some apps that will also help them ride in popularity. Like a, a weird example, even like yesterday, I was scrolling on TikTok and I saw these two guys who were filming like an interesting style like music video it was like a cute like catchy song i like recognized the background was from toronto so i got like some localized content and then recognized one of the guys in it and that was after i had listened to a few songs ended up like finding them on instagram after following them and then following them on spotify and realizing it was like one of my old friends they never would have reached me outside of that like i had no other contact with them beyond that and i even find now where there's businesses that are just doing like more organic style partnerships on that. Uh, I saw like a Reebok ad recently on it where it was literally just like a sweep video of a guy showing off his kicks with like some like funny edit. And I mean, like I'm never going to rock like red on red Reeboks because I'm just not that cool, but I can appreciate how other people or uh, how that's profitable for businesses. You're hitting on something interesting here, which I I feel like the trend towards making these types of tactics work is that they have to be, in order for people to accept and engage with them, I feel like they need to be way more organic, whereas people recoil from the, the oh, this is clearly a way to get me to do this thing. Like, I just, I feel like so many more people are aware of that. I know, you know, maybe another example is, and I'm probably going to get this wrong. I I think it might have been Yammer. It might have been another tool. But I know that one of these tools grew really fast by you would connect your Google account and then it would auto invite all of your contacts to also join that platform. And so at the time, it was just the thing that was happening and people were signing up for it because if it was Yammer, it was a workplace tool and it just kind of made sense in the context. But these days, if I knew that a tool was about to do that when I signed up, I wouldn't even sign up for it. I I just wouldn't even consider it because it just, it feels so invasive now. Whereas all these mechanics that are starting to work better and better are much more organic, like you were pointing out with the TikTok example. Yeah. And I think like that, that even like reminds me of like the early days of like LinkedIn, when you would first sign up and then would pull your contact list and like, at that time, like a bunch of us were pretty naive and we would just like blast everybody that mm-hmm. it had pre-selected. Yep. 
And you're seeing instead of like this pre-select of absolutely everybody, you're seeing like through the use of data and companies are getting smarter about this on just like just showing like who are the people that you are most likely or most recently speaking to. Like I know um, the the oftentimes like when I am even like going through selections on like my iPhone and it will show me like the four people that I talk to the absolute most. And they're right 99% of the time that like those are the people I'm probably going to want to send stuff to. And that carries over like when I'm on TikTok and I want to like shamefully share something that's on it or um, <laughs> when I'm on Instagram and I want to share something or I want to like send something off platform. So I, I think that that type of opting in and using your personal contacts is obviously like an invasive thing when done in mass. But I think we've become a lot more accepting of it in our close circles. And I think a lot of apps have like really jumped on that with like more DM style stuff, more groups, more exclusivity. Right. And it just feels better. It's more contextual. I just trust the thing out of the gate. If it is showing me that it is being thoughtful about that, I think that that is something that really matters to a lot of people that will engage with those types of systems. Oh, absolutely. And I also just like feel bad for people who don't necessarily recognize when they fall into a trap where it might accidentally spam everything. I know like on the opposite side, my mom has definitely fallen into that. And as anybody Mm -hmm. who has a parent that's like not technologically advanced and they just like call you for like every IT problem that they ever experience. She was convinced she was hacked because she like sent a mass invite to her friends for signing up for something. Um, so I think that's also like a weird little consideration that is just no longer accepted and isn't really thought of beyond like maybe one audience and how they would react. Yeah. Okay. So let's go on another tactic unless you have anything to add there. No, no, it's all good for me. Okay, cool. So uh, this whole waiting list thing. So the waiting list to my understanding, and maybe it existed before, but I think the first big example where it took the tech world by storm uh, was Mailbox. Uh, so Mailbox was like a new email app. And before they launched, a few months before they launched, they turned on this waiting list. And I remember the list got to, it was over a million people, if not more, if I do remember correctly. And then that drove so many more people to talk about it because it was like, whoa, there's this many people, right? It, it had this built-in social proof aspect to it where it was this self-perpetuating hype machine where other tools hadn't really exploited that before. Uh, And now we're seeing it in a couple other places. I think Robinhood does an amazing job with it these days, uh, which I think some people have a love-hate relationship with with those types of waiting lists. But it's also a, a really fascinating way to not only grow quicker from the start, it also gives you immediate market validation in a way that you didn't have before. So to me, that one's like a dual sided benefit. I would also like add in that it has like huge activation benefits. Like when you're like withholding something from somebody for so long, and then you finally grant them access, the likelihood of them activating and taking advantage of their access is so much higher than if you were to just let them in. And like, I know that like this is this is one of those classic examples that I actually like still very, very strongly believe in and think that like if done well and your product can prove to be something that enough people want, like this is even a way, a great way of even just like testing out new features or a product before you even start to put too much money into it. I think that it has a ton of different benefits. Yeah. It, to me, it's an interesting line that you have to walk to where 
I feel like the waiting list thing can be, it, it could very easily come across as obnoxious and intentionally withholding. Right, I, like it, it is a fine line to walk in, in like a De Beers scenario. <laughs> I don't know much about that one. Oh, oh my gosh! Like De Beers is like all about like false scarcity. They're the ones who invented diamonds. Oh, and, right. <laughs> or like I guess the popularization of diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one makes sense. Uh, that one's like a natural resource take on the <laughs> artificial on the scarcity. scarcity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jack up um, the prices way way up. But I totally agree. I think that there's definitely a fine line. Like I think that if it's if it's one of those things where it is like so hyper exclusive or almost like obnoxious to the point where like they're making you jump through so many hoops just to get access to something, or you have them on the waiting list for so long that they totally forget what you are and you become irrelevant. Like there's definitely a timeline and uh, a threshold that comes with each one of these products. And obviously, hype is great, but the truth is that people don't stay or sign up for products solely for hype there has to be a little bit of something else there yep yeah very much agreed okay do you, do you have any examples that you want to talk about i know there's a couple others that we talked about before we jumped on here like airbnb and hotmail or or a few others yeah i mean i i think like one of the one of the examples that comes up a lot in terms of growth hacking is is airbnb and how they when they were first starting to launch their marketplace and anyone that's tried to grow a marketplace knows how hard it is to get their supply up and match that with demand is that they looked at craigslist airbnb at the time was trying to fill out the number of listings that they had available on their site and it's pretty hard to go in and just normally go and target people who happen to have spaces in their home that they're willing to rent out or that they're uh, willing to share with people. So they went to Craigslist, found a bunch of short-term places and asked them to cross-post or did some cross-posting on their behalf. And I think that this is a really interesting growth hack in a couple different ways where they were able to leverage a community that was pretty similar to the audience that they're trying to build for and use that as a way of hyper-targeting and do so in an organic way when they didn't have a whole lot of resources or a whole lot of money or people. So I thought that, that that's always an interesting one to kind of bring up and, and walk through. Yeah, it's like they, they perfectly found a very aligned channel and then in a value-add type way, leverage that because I feel like you can easily find the channel and then do it in a value detract or uh, like a hostile takeover of a channel type way. But this was very much a, it's just kind of like helping both sides of people involved here by getting them to cross post and engage with them. Yeah. Like I think the, the good distinction on this one is that it wasn't them going aggressively after people on Craigslist and saying, Hey, like choose Airbnb over Craigslist because we are better. And I'm going to take these people off your platform. It was saying, Hey, like we've matched the problem that you have here, which is that you're looking to fill the space and you're looking to get compensated for it. And why not increase your odds? And I think there's a lot of companies that have been able to kind of leverage that. Like uh, you have companies, there's a Canadian company called care guide, uh, who's gone and they they basically match like nannies, pet sitters, things like that with people who are looking for those services. They did the exact same thing. They were able to leverage and syndicate all their posts across a bunch of different platforms, led to a bunch of acquisitions. It's pretty much like totally kickstarted and maintained their growth. And then you also have uh, examples of even in like, let's say, I guess like less 
less like parallel opportunities where people have gone on Quora and they found people that are looking literally for the solution that they're providing and linking them back to to their stuff or so on and so forth. So I think that the idea of cross-posting is still very much so alive, but we're not always as lucky as Airbnb, where you can find something like Craigslist that is open and searchable, indexable, and happens to also be the same target market. Right, right. That was perfectly aligned. <laughs> Great. So I don't have any any others that feel pressing to me to talk about. Do you have anything else? I don't think anything off the top of my head, to be honest. Yeah. I feel like there's so many more examples and maybe we can do another episode where we dig into this. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I hope our, our listeners enjoyed it as well. Uh, did you have a good time? Yeah, I would almost love to hear if there's any growth hacks that anyone knows out there that they would like us to go and explore and do a deep dive on. I, I know like Matt and I always love to riff on the fact that like we only know what we know. And even like talking through this, like outside of this podcast, it was exciting to kind of get reinvigorated or remember some of the nostalgia of some of these uh, campaigns that we all fell for. So definitely curious on that side. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so if you're listening, if you got other stuff you want us to talk about in a round two, send it my way. My email is mattatrift.com. I would love to do this again. This was really a lot of fun. Emily, thank you so much for, for joining the podcast again. It's been great having you. Yeah, thanks so much. All right. And for those of you listening, as always, if you're a fan, please subscribe, uh, five-star review, feedback, anything, whatever you want to say, my email is Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. 